Hey, uh, we are uh, continuing in, in our series called Untitled. Today, we're just going to tackle uh, what does it mean uh, to navigate family as a single parent? What, what, what does it look like to try to do this biblically if you feel like you're trying to do this alone uh, as you create family? So let me ask you a question. We're just going to do a real quick survey in the room. Uh, and I'm going to ask all the people in Overflow, I want you to participate too. So here's the deal. If if you are currently a single parent, would you stand? If you're a single parent, stand. Okay? If, if you're somebody in the room and you'd say, at some point, I've had to… Stay standing. Stay, oh, stay standing. All right. If you're, you say, at some point, I've had to navigate life as a single parent. I may not right now because I ran my children off, but I, at one point, I was a single parent, and so you stand. At some point, I navigated life as a single parent. Okay? Uh, how many people in the room, stay standing, how many people in the room grew up in a single-parent home? Stand. Wow. How many people uh, say, hey, somebody in my close proximity, either a relative or somebody that is dear to my life, a friend, somebody in close proximity to me, right now is navigating life as a single parent? Stand. Okay, so you get it. You get, you get that this is, not, this is not a conversation that doesn't touch our lives, and that every last one of us almost in this room is either in the middle of this or we're trying to help somebody else who is. So this is a huge conversation uh, for us to have. So go ahead, guys, and sit down. I, I just want to tell you that as we started to get ready for what you and I are going to talk about today, uh, I tried to meet with some single parents and… Uh, just ask some questions, say, what does this mean? What is, what, what is it that you're trying to do? And I, I just have to tell you that as they began to unpack, my heart sank because, I, man, there is so much here. I mean, this isn't, this isn't just one little sermon and, and go on your way. There is so much here. There's so much complexity that comes to this conversation when you're trying to lead and do a family by yourself. It just, it just magnifies, it multiplies uh, the hardness, the, the challenge of doing this. And so, here, here's the deal. What we're going to do today, I just went after three themes that as I talked just kept coming up over and over and over again. But here's the, each of these could be a sermon in and of itself. And, and I just, I don't want anybody in the room to feel like that somehow we're minimizing or trivializing this thing. We're going to take a pass at some of this stuff at kind of a 30,000-foot level. And my heart, my heart is to kind of encourage you and, and say, look, this is kind of the right direction to go in. I can't, I can't unpack the whole conversation about this, but this, these are the right directions to head as you try to navigate these critical things um, as a single parent. And then, guys, I'm just going to tell you, I think somewhere, somewhere the conversation's got to continue. And then here's the part that my heart's been struck with. I don't think we do a very good job of this in the church. I think we, we, we say to single parents, wow, sorry, <laughs> good luck with that. Guys, I just think somewhere you and I have got to figure out, as the family of God, how to come around single parents better. How to, how to support, how to speak in, how to say, look, you don't have to do this by yourself. 
Your brothers and sisters in Christ will carry part of this load with you. And guys, I'm just telling you, somewhere in the next few weeks and months, I think we as a church need to continue to ask, how are we going to do this better within our community that single parents aren't going to feel on their own? So here we go. We're gonna, here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend the next few minutes unpacking what, what single parents told me were three of the biggest issues uh, that they faced, uh, challenges in trying to do this. We're going to try to just at the very least encourage you that there is some hope in this conversation. And the other part today, guys, we're going to look at a lot of Bible passages. So I encourage you, grab your Bible. You want your Bible any Sunday we come together. You want to be sure that what I'm saying is not Lynn's opinion, that it's actually God's truth. And I just encourage you to bring your Bible every single week and and hold me accountable. Look it up. When I say it's there, look it up and make sure it's there. Um, But we're going to spend some time in the Bible today. Okay, so challenge number one as we talk to single parents is this idea of guilt. That, that even, even after the divorce or whatever has happened, the separation, there there's, tends to be this abiding sense of guilt that says, hey, wh- what, if, what if I had tried a little harder? You know, maybe, maybe it's my fault because I just, I picked the wrong type of person in the first place, and if I would have been wiser in my choice of the spouse, then my kids wouldn't be living with this now. Uh, what, if, what if I had hung on longer? You know, maybe, maybe I gave up uh, too soon, and I, and I, I should have hung on. And, and here, I, I never wanted this for my children. See, I had this idea in my mind of this home we were going to have and what my children were going to experience in life, and now I, I, there's, just, there's just no way. There is no way that they're going to have that experience that I always hoped for my kids. And this only seems to magnify if you came from a single-parent home yourself because you said, I'm never going to have my kids experience what I had to experience. And so there is this lingering uh, guilt uh, in their lives. And here, here's what you need to know. Undealt with guilt, unresolved guilt in your life will distort your life. It, it, will, it will actually keep you from being the type of family that you need to be uh, with God. It, you know, and what happens is sometimes we go, well, you know what? I have done some things I shouldn't have done, and I, and I probably didn't behave the way, so I should feel guilty. And there's almost a, a sense in which our guilt becomes a security blanket because we go, I, I deserve to feel this way. But here's what you need to know. Unresolved guilt will end up distorting your life. It'll distort your home. It will distort your parenting. So it, it's kind of like this, that, that as you and I try to look and say, okay, what's the right way to lead my home? What's the right way to parent? And, and this is hard. This is in the best of circumstances when all the things like, it is hard to do parenting well. When you inject guilt, when you and I say, look, uh, we're, already, we're already short on this. We're, we're already uh, behind in the game because of the things I've done. And when you inject guilt into parenting and to having a family, then the answer is suddenly trying to see the answers, trying to know what you're supposed to do next and, and how you're supposed to behave and how should I respond to that moment in the lives of my children. This gets cloudy. This gets really, really hard. And I'm just, I just need to say to you today that, especially if you're a single parent, but the truth is if you're anybody and you're living with unresolved guilt in your life, it will distort your life. 
Now, here's the interesting thing. Guilt is actually good. Guilt is actually something that God gave you and me as a gift and that the Holy Spirit living inside of our lives actually leverages to our blessing. And, and that you and I, when we do things that we shouldn't do, when we behave in ways that we shouldn't behave, we ought to feel guilty. The, the issue is you and I have to resolve guilt. You and I have to respond to guilt so that guilt is no longer in our lives because, ready, unresolved guilt will begin to distort my life. So here's the thing I just want to say in the room. If you're especially a single parent and you're living in this moment going, look, I just, man, I feel so guilty for what I've done to my children, for maybe the missteps that I did in my relationship that brought me to this moment, two things you need to do if you're struggling with guilt. Number one is this. Find someone. Find someone who saw what happened. Find someone who, who was around in, in the yuck of it. And simply ask them this, how much of that, how much of that moment, how much of that path, how much of that do I own? And you need to find someone who's brave enough to be honest with you. You need to find somebody who has clear thinking and will actually say to you what needs to be said to you. Because in this moment, look, this is not the moment for excuses. This is not the moment for blaming. This is not the moment for for pushing things over to the side and, and, and deflecting. If you're dealing with guilt, the most powerful thing you can do is actually stand in a moment and say, hey, you know what? I get what I own. I get what I'm responsible for. I, I get my contribution to the moment. And sure, they may have done something first, and I may have simply been responding, but the reality is my response was inappropriate. And so find somebody who has the integrity and the honesty and, and give them permission to say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to defend on this. I'm not going to argue with you on this. Would you please speak into my… Tell me what I own. Tell me what I own. And then the second piece of this, <laughs> apologize. Get it right. Go back to the people you've wounded. Go back to the people who saw you live your ill-lived moments and just say, look, I, I just need to say this out loud. I need to call a foul on myself. I just need to tell you, I get it now. And I did not behave. I did not do what Christ would have done in that moment. And I, I need to ask you for your forgiveness. I, I, I need this to be okay in my life. Several years back, I I had a gentleman come to me, and he was all excited about a brand new relationship that he had dating someone in our church. He said, man, she's such a great girl, and I, I could just see myself getting serious with her. And I said, don't you dare. Don't you dare. You, you've got two previous marriages, and by your own confession, you've got stuff still undone back there. You take that into a new relationship, you take that guilt, that distortion, I, I, I'm just telling, number three is coming. You go back, you, you deal with your past in honesty, and you go back to the people that you've hurt and the people you've wounded and take responsibility, even if yours was the smaller fraction of the guilt, and you clear this up before you move on. Matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, grab them with me real quick. Go with me to the book of Romans, chapter 5. 
Romans chapter 5. If you're not real familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible and then work to the left, you're going to find this passage. Romans chapter 5, just verse 1, here's what it says. It says, therefore, since you have been justified by faith, in other words, you've, you've been made right by faith, what your past is has been paid for by Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I'm just telling you today that if you don't have peace, it's because you haven't made it right. You, you either haven't dealt with your heavenly Father about this issue, or you haven't dealt with man about this issue. And in order for you to be able to see your way clearly, and in order for you to be able to move forward in creating a family, you've got to have peace about your past. And it's, it's not going to say the past didn't happen or it wasn't wrong. It's just you've got to be at peace with God and with man about your past. There is an amazing power when you and I decide to deal with it. that suddenly allows you and me to not live in the distortion of guilt and to suddenly begin to see our way clear. See, when you and I were living with guilt, we, 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 we began to make excuses for our kids because we said, look, the only reason they're acting up that way is because they don't have a father right now, and so it's understandable that they're acting up, and so all of a sudden we started to excuse bad behavior. Or, or we said, look, look, here's the deal. I mean, they're already in life with a disadvantage, so I better overcompensate. So suddenly this, the toys at Christmas time are higher than the tree because we're trying to make up something for them. And what we don't realize is that in the midst of that, they're missing some of the most valuable life lessons. They're missing discipline that we should have given, but we didn't give because we were guilty. And they're, they're, they're missing life lessons about work and earning things themselves because we're giving them everything to make up. The, and I'm just telling you, when you and I finally deal with it, it suddenly gives you and me a freedom to parent like we ought to parent because we're not parenting from a place of guilt. And this becomes a lot clearer for you. So here's my question. Are you dealing with guilt today? Is this where you find yourself? And if it is, then here's my encouragement. Deal with it. Don't, don't you dare, don't you dare, don't you dare. Keep going this distorted, in this muddle. If you find yourself making parenting and family decisions and you're doing it out of the guilt of the past, then deal with it. Get yourself at peace with God and at peace with the people of your past so that you can move forward with clarity in your life. Challenge number two, dealing with mixed messages. So here's what happens. Uh, we now have two home fronts, and, and the kids are half the time with me, and, and they're half the time with my spouse, and, and I'm trying to uh, raise them in a godly home, and so we go to church, and I, I'm trying to have a little bit of discipline and order in their lives, because after all, you know, they do five days a week with me, and then, you know, they just kind of get to have the weekend dad or the weekend mom in their life, and suddenly all the rules are gone, all the structure is gone. It's like Christmas every time they go over there to visit, and they, they can do, and then they come back, and they're like, hellions, and it's, it's Friday before they become human again, and then we ship them off. And what, do you, what do you do when you're living in a world of just mixed 
messages? Here's the answer. Your kid was going to end up with mixed messages anyways. They just were. This entire world that you and I live in is filled with mixed messages. I mean, when you turn on the TV and it says, hey, whatever feels good to you, do it. And then you come to church and it says, no, 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 whatever honors God, do it. Uh, you, you, you hear culture, and culture says, hey, look, you're a better man if it, the more women you've taken to bed. And, and then all of a sudden you come, and the Scripture says, no, 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 no. The most honoring thing a man can do toward a woman is wait until they're married. Guys, I'm just going to tell you that, that we, life is mixed messages. It just is. And the unfortunate part is that it would be wonderful if, if at home they got consistent answers and consistent uh, direction in their lives. But honestly, there are marriages. There are marriages that are unhealthy because mom and dad are giving mixed messages to their kids. And the answer at the end of the day is we live in a world that's going to give mixed messages. Matter of fact, your and my challenge is to raise kids who can navigate mixed messages and come to the right answer. Think about this. If you send your kid to the neighbor's house, they're going to get mixed messages. I guarantee you the neighbors watch movies you don't watch, right? Because you're cornerstone people, <laughs> right? And, and I guarantee you they've got language that you don't have, and they, they're going to say things at the neighbor's house that you don't say, right? Okay? And, and, and for your kid to live in this world, they're, they're, they're going to navigate mixed messages, and you get to say, no, 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 not in the Johnson home, because at the Johnson home, here's how we treat people, and here's what comes out of our lips, and here's the things we watch, and these are the types of movies the Johnsons go to. You, you always were going to navigate mixed messages with, with your child. Let, let, me, let me see if this helps at all. I don't know. I, if the job of parenting and raising your kids was to teach them to be a good enough swimmer to make the high school swim team, okay? So, in other words, that's the equivalent of dealing with mixed messages. In other words, they've got to become competent enough at doing this that they're at the caliber that says you could make the high school swim team. That's how good you are at dealing with mixed messages. Well, if the world was perfect, what you and I would do is we'd take our kids when they were really, really small and we'd put them in that little, you know, play pool thing that's off to the side that's this deep and all the kids pee and we'd start them there. And then, and then, you know, they got a little more comp, you know, then we take them to that pool where you can, you know, you can kind of walk in and get just as deep as you want to and then you can walk out. You know, that, that's what we would do next. And then, and then maybe, maybe, you know, we'd take them to that three foot end of the pool and then we'd move them to the middle of the pool. And then finally, you know, you'd get them to the, and you would, you'd do this in, in a progress type of thing. And I get it. I get it. That because of where your life is navigated, because of where you're at, it's like your kid got thrown in the three-foot area too soon. And now they're dealing with mixed messages that you wish they didn't and we wish they weren't. And I get it. I get it. But here's the answer, isn't it? Where we were headed with our kids was way past the three-foot end anyways. And what we needed to do to train in their life and to help them become is so much more advanced than through. And, and I get that it's quicker than we would have chosen to do it, and I get that it's faster, but guys, guys, you guys, guys, the call is so much deeper than three-foot anyways. So you, you end up being more attentive. You end up being a little more careful because it's a little deeper than you planned for this early. But we were going to have to get here anyways. So help your kids deal with the three-foot end. Help them understand 
hey, you know what, that, that's how they, that's, I know that's what dad does. I know that's what mom does when you're busy. I get, I get it, I get it. But this is the Johnson home. And when we're in the Johnson home, here's how we treat people. And when you're in the Johnson home, we go to church on Sunday. I know dad doesn't go to church on Sunday. I know your mom doesn't go to church. When, when we're in the Johnson home, we go to church on Sunday. That, that's what we do. And, and then let me give you the second part of this. Don't be afraid to be the bad guy. Don't be, I get it, I get it, I get that every time they're over there, that they're just wonderful and they're letting them eat cupcakes for breakfast. I get it. But don't be afraid to be the bad guy because here's the answer, guys. You were called to be their parent, not their friend. How many of you figure that out? Hey, my, my kids don't need a friend. Friends come and go. They need a parent, which means I should beat them. No, I mean I should guide them on a routine basis, okay? Guys, we, we mess this up. Here's what happens. We get all weird and go, I want to be my kid's friend. Would you shut up? You do not. You will, you will ruin that kid, okay? Let me explain how this works. You spend the first 20 years being their parent, which means they are, they are going to hate you at some points in their life. At some, you are going to be the stupidest person in the history of the world. That's the job qualification of a parent, okay? And for the first 20 years, you get to be a parent. And if you do that well, then for the next 20 years, you'll have the privilege of being a coach, See, they'll come off the field and they'll say, hey, you know, what do you think? And I, I, I got a decision to make and, you know, could you, could you give me a little, could you draw on the chalkboard of life for me? And if you've done the first part well of parenting, you'll earn the privilege for the next 20 years of being a coach. And then, you ready? After 40, maybe you'll be their friend. Maybe not because you probably won't like them very much and won't want to hang out with them. But maybe you'll be their friend. But let me tell you, if you get this in reverse, guys, if you start with the after 40 stuff when they're a kid, I'm, I'm going to tell you exactly how this works. When they get to 15 and you've been their friend and you start realizing they're making horrible, horrible, horrible life decisions, you're going to go into panic mode. And at 15, you're going to suddenly decide to be a parent. And it ain't going to work. So I'm just telling you, I, I get it. I get that this casts you in the light of being the bad guy. I get that the spouse is over there handing them candy. I, I get it. Don't be afraid to be the parent because at the end of the day, your kid doesn't need a friend. Your kid needs a parent. So do what your kid needs, even if it's not popular. Okay? Matter of fact, I got a passage I want us to take a moment and look at. It's in 1 Timothy. So. If, if you were still in Romans, you'd be a little bit to the right. If you closed your Bible, go all the way to the back and work to the left. It's this book of 1 Timothy. First Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Here's, here's what it says. This is Paul talking to a young man who has taken on the job of pastoring a church. And in the church he's in, most of the congregation is older than him. And he goes, how, how do I end up pastoring in a church when, when the majority of the people here have lived longer, done more than me? 
Here's what Paul says to him. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. And you go, what? What does that have to do with parenting? Here is a young man thrust in a situation that by all rights is completely unfair. It's an untenable moment. It's a moment in which people are going to be able to say, look, you're not doing this the right way. And, and, and Paul says, look, here's what you do when you get thrust into unfortunate, untenable moments when there's going to be a whole bunch of conflict and a whole bunch of deciding, am I with Timothy? Am I not with Timothy? Am I with mom? Am I not with mom? Be an example. Do the right thing. Don't give in to playing friend. Don't get in to play. Do the right thing. Hold the course. And what Paul's saying is that eventually, eventually, those people will figure out that you're a godly man and they'll let you be their pastor. Eventually, guys, I'm just going to tell you, your best shot when your kids are getting mixed messages is for you to hold the course with the prayer and the hope that eventually they go, oh my goodness. What God is doing with mom, what God is doing with dad, the difference in her life versus their life, the difference in his life versus their life, wow, wow. What an amazing example. And they follow. It's how you lead when there are mixed messages. You do the right thing. You stay the course. Don't play that game. Third challenge, absence of a male, absence of a male. Guys, I, I can't even tell you how huge this is. I, I believe that it goes even beyond single parent families to some of the biggest issues we have in our culture today. I, I will tell you that the decline in morality, I believe, is a direct result of the absence of males in homes to set moral standard and boundary. You look at our prisons, and if you look at the neighborhoods and the cultures which are most highly populated in prison, all of them have the highest degree of absence of fathers. I'm just telling you, this is huge. It is, it is a big deal. Our, our welfare roles, they're the reason they're brimming over the top, I guarantee you, you can link to absence of males in the culture. So what do you do? Because there's a whole bunch of it in the room. So look, I, I, I'm raising kids, and especially for the females, and they're going, look, I'm, I'm raising kids, and I've even got some boys I'm raising, and I, how do I tell them? How do I teach them to be a good male? I mean, what do I do? I'm not, I'm not even a good male, hopefully, okay? Um, I've got daughters, and I mean, there's just something about the bond of a daughter to a father, and I mean, I, how, how do I ever provide that? My, my desperate fear is, is that, that if she doesn't have some sense of how a man is supposed to treat her someday, when she starts dating, this is going to be catastrophic. She's going to be willing to date any jerk because she doesn't know any better. What do you do with the absence of a male? Okay, so let, let me give you two suggestions. Number one is this, begin to point, begin to point. Years ago, we had a a little gal who came to our church, figured out Jesus here at Cornerstone, 
but came, came from something that was just so far removed from anything Christian or biblical. And it was interesting because she was kind of at that marrying age, and, uh, and so in her small group, they were having discussions about the type of guys you ought to look for and, and what it means to be in a, in a committed marriage relationship. And part of that that just my, blew her mind, and she was going, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait a minute. I'm supposed to marry a guy, and then he's supposed to lead? Oh, no. That ain't going to happen. I mean, that, that's just, that would be stupid, right? I mean, why would you let him lead? Why? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that just like kind of smother me as a female? And I mean, I mean, I, wow, what terror would that bring when he starts making horrible decisions? I mean, wow. And so this conversation goes on in their small group for weeks, and she cannot get it. She cannot grab it. just sounds like the stupidest thing that was ever written in the Bible. And finally, one of the women in the small group realized, hey, I, I, I'm not going to be able to show her enough verses. I'm not going to be able to tell her enough stories to get her to understand what Scripture's teaching on this. So here's what she did. She went to her friend, to the little gal named Dina and said, Dina, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to spend the next 30 days, and as you walk through the church, would you look at what you believe are the best marriages the best relationships, the ones that you say, boy, if I could ever meet a guy and if I could have a marriage like that marriage, that's the marriage I'd want to be like. She said, look for that, and then you come back and tell me what you see. Thirty days later, Dina walked in the room and said, I so get it. Because what she was able to do was see healthy marriages where, where guys, instead of being passive, were stepping up and saying, no, 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 I'll lead our home spiritually. I, if there's going to be a problem in, in, in our family, I'll be the first one to go meet it. My wife doesn't have to spend her days in terror wondering because she knows she's got a husband who will step in front and care. And, and in the midst of that, I'm not going to smother my wife. I'm not going to hold you. you kidding me? I want my wife to… I'm going to give her freedom, and I'm going to, I'm going to give her all sorts of… I'm, my job is to provide the freedom. And all of a sudden, Dina said, man. If I could have a marriage where a man led, I'd sign up today. Guys, you do the same thing for your children. You need to point. You need to look and say, hey, did you see how that dad just treated his kids? Boy, that was a great dad, wasn't it? Did you see how that man just treated his wife? Boy, that was honoring, wasn't it? And you need to get really, really good at pointing and helping your kids to see the right modeling going on. Second thing, you've got to be willing to allow others. <laughs> you've got to be willing to allow, if there ends up being a man or a family who says, look, I'm willing, we're willing to spend time with your child, that you have to be willing to let them spend time with your child. You just do. I'm, I'm nine years old. My parents had gotten divorced. And it's interesting, the very next summer, my Uncle Marty called up my mom and said, hey, I need some help around the lawn business. He was a professional uh, maintenance guy. He went around and did lawns in people's homes. I need some help. Would Lynn come and help? Uh, my Uncle Marty paid me $2 an hour. I mean, $2 a day. $2 a day to mow lawns. And we would work 10, 11, 12 hours sometimes. And, and on one regard, you might go, wow, Lynn, sounds like you got kind of ripped off. 
Not a chance. You know why? Because as I lived those summers in Uncle Marty's home, I got to see how a man treats his wife. I rode for hours in his van with him between jobs, talking man to man. I watched when he had children how he cared for his boys. And I am going to tell you that all of my early references of manhood come from my Uncle Marty. I'm just going to say to you that if the opportunity comes and a healthy marriage, a healthy home says, hey, can your child come with us on vacation? Can, can, they, can they come play at our house more often? The answer needs to be absolutely, because I want my child to be able to see how a man treats a woman when they don't agree in a godly home. I, I want them to see how parents discipline their children, how men discipline their children in a godly home. And so you have to be willing to allow. I, I got a feeling that me being gone all summer was probably pretty lonely for my mom. It was very wise of my mom to let me do that. Matter of fact, let me encourage you just a little bit. Grab your Bibles another time. Go with me to the book of Psalms. I think, I think that if, if you're here today, especially as a woman, and you're navigating this idea that says, man, I, there's just no uh, father figure in, in my child's life, Psalms is going to be right in the middle of your Bible. Psalms chapter 68, I, I want to give you a promise here in Scripture. You ready for this? Psalms chapter 68, verse 5. Here's, here's what Scripture says. Talking about God, you ready? God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in His holy dwelling. And I just want to say to you that if you're navigating this by yourselves, ladies, God sees and God is willing to fill the gap. Your children aren't fatherless because your heavenly Father is stepping in. And He may do this by involving other males. He may not. I'm just telling you your children are not fatherless because their heavenly Father cares. And He is filling gaps. I promise. How does the stuff we just talked about happen? And here's the answer, guys, and I'm going to, if you don't take anything else away from this as a single parent, take this. The only way what we just described, this type of interaction, this type of involvement, this type of, of interplay, happens only if you are in community. What we just described is never going to happen if all you do is come on Sunday and sit in these purple chairs. There will not be enough males who get close enough to be involved in your kids' lives. You will not have enough godly families that you know intimately enough and see well enough, and your kids see the same families that you can point to them and say, look at them, that's a great example. You'll never do that from the purple chairs. And I'm just telling you, if you are here and you are a single parent, you of all people, you of all people ought to understand the value of community and getting more deeply intertwined in the body of Christ. And so here's what I want to say to you. If all your experience right now is a purple chair experience, that has to change today. And you've got to walk out of this place, and you've either got to join a small group, or you've got to go join a small church, or you've got to get into a men's Bible study. or You've got to get into a place of community so that you know godly families well enough that you can point, and so that godly families know you well enough that they could actually invite 
And if you're a single parent and not living in community, you're crazy. You're crazy to be doing this alone. You're keeping yourself too far from us for us to help. Join community. Here's the other shoe down of that. If you and I are the church, and if you and I are going to give any help to single parents, then you and I have got to be living in community. See, when they join the small group, we better be there. When they go to the small church, you and I better already be there so that they can join us in community, so that you and I can hear the story, so you and I can know their life and say, you know, I can fix that car. I I can help you navigate your checkbook. I can help you figure that out. But you'll never do that from the purple chair. You and I will never do this. Let me give you one more passage. You, You don't have to go there. I'll read this one for you. It's in the book of James. But, but let this one sink into your hearts. It's James chapter 1, verse 27. Let, let, ready? Religion that our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You get that our modern-day orphans and widows are our single-family homes. That if you and I as a community of believers neglect to do this, we have missed the very heart of the church. And so here's what I just want to say to the rest of us that maybe aren't navigating this right now. Here's some things. If you know a single-family home, what would it mean to take one or two or several of those kids with you when you go on family vacation next year? I mean, just just so they could ride in the car. Because I'm just telling you, weird stuff happens in the car, right? (laughs) But they'd see how real families that love God handle the car. And and you you get that there's conversations that are going to happen, and there's just life experiences. And and, and that kid doesn't have any other place to get that. You realize how how powerful it is just to take a kid from a single on vacation with you. just to make your life available to them. Let, them. let them come over and play. Let them spend the night. Take them to the game on Saturday. I don't care. What does it mean to involve that child in your life to see your home that's different than their home so that they have a reference point? Number two, I cannot, I cannot overestimate or overtell you the power of men serving. Man, I'm just telling you, this is one reason you serve. It's so that you rub up against children who don't have male role models. And I get it, I get it. You go, wow, I don't know if I like children. I don't care if you like children. (laughs) Children like you. And children don't have a reference point for a male in their lives. So once a month, go, go to our student ministry. Can I tell you when I was a youth pastor, I could, tell, I could tell girls immediately who did not have a father at home. You know why? Because the girls who had fathers at home who treated them the way they should be treated walked in the room. They say, hi, Lynn, how you doing? I say, I'm doing great. Girls who were at home and didn't have a male who treated them like they needed to be treated, they'd walk in the room and they just… 
because they didn't know what it was like to have male affection in an appropriately godly way. And I'm just going to tell you that if the little girls of our church don't learn that, there'll be a 16-year-old who will teach them. And guys, I'm just saying, there is a power when males serve and when you put your life in availability so that a young person, a child, can look and go, oh, that's what a godly man looks like. When I get married someday, I want one like that. And here, here's the, the last one, guys. I just think somewhere we're going to have to get a singles ministry going here. We've got one for the older singles. We don't have one for this age group. There is so much to navigate. How do we not have a pastor who can speak into their lives and a community where they can go? I, I, I just, I just got, you just need to hear a pastor's heart that says, I think this is a horrible answer. And the answer is right now, we need to figure out how to afford it. And so I'm just going to say this. That I did, I'm not here to, to raise funds. I'm not here to do that. If you don't tithe, and if the conversation we just had doesn't make sense to you about giving and why we give, then I don't, I don't even know what else to say to you. But, but would you even think about today, would you just pray about, if you're someone who's not already tithing, what it would mean to move your giving up? If I were to say to you, and I promise you, if we do that, we'll go get a singles pastor. We'll, we'll go after this, if you'll help us. Go after this. Let's be the church that takes care of the widow and the orphan. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we... We simply come to you this morning, and God, our hearts, our hearts are just heavy with the challenge that our single parents have right now. And God, I, I, I pray honor on them for what they're doing. What they're doing is brave, and it's courageous, and God, we wouldn't want the assignment. And I'm just going to ask that you would come alongside them and be a father to the fatherless, that you would hold their arms up and give them strength in the moments when they're ready to give up. But God, maybe the thing that we needed to say out loud today is, let's start being the church. Let's start caring for the widows and the orphans that are sitting right next to us in our services. Let, let's start getting involved in their lives and stop making this just a purple chair experience. Let's live in community so that I know... I know that you need help, and I can invite your kids to go on vacation with me, and I can, I can serve so that they can see me model manhood. And God, maybe this was a call for us to move, to be different, to help. In Jesus' name, amen.